Amen. I was reading in my uh, my social media feed this morning. As usually, I wake up and I'll like I'll read the news and you know, read some headlines to kind of get my day started, and that's pretty normal. And I, I had a, a post from uh, a well-known pastor whose whose name you probably would know if I said it. I'm not going to say it, but um, made a comment that uh, peace is found within. And lots of comments, you know, um, kind of ensued uh, on that, a lot, a lot of positive comments. But as I got to thinking about it, um, I don't think that's true. Peace is not found from within, right? We've all shared some kind of heavy things this morning and are dealing with some heavy, heavy things. And there, there are times in our life where, like, it's just not there as, as hard as we try to find it. Uh, and I guess I just want to give us a reminder that peace is found in a person. Peace is found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Um, it seems like more and more, like there's just heavy things happening in the world and more and more we hear about it. And I think the world is a little bit smaller just because of technology. And so we, we hear about things now that maybe we didn't hear about 20 years ago because of technology. And like, there's just some hard things that happen. And, and I don't, you know, I've, I've grown up in the church. I've shared that with you guys before. I, I don't know how people get through this life without Jesus Christ because I've, I've never had to do it. And I'm thankful for that, but I know people do it every day. Uh, try to get through life without Christ. And, and I, I experientially, I do not get it at all, not, not even close. And so just, just a reminder that, that in the midst of our hard things that, that you know, we can have peace in Christ, but we, all, we also can have the tension of just the hard things that are happening uh, and peace at the same time. And it's, it's kind of weird, but, um, but God does that for us, that we can live uh, in the tension and so um, I guess I just wanted to mention that as maybe a point of encouragement for us that, that we would look to Christ uh, for our peace, not our circumstances, not inside ourselves, not within relationships, not within outcomes that we're hoping for, uh, but that we would look to Christ uh, as our peace. We're in the middle, uh, or kind of at the end today of our, uh, our Advent uh, series. We've been looking at kind of different aspects of Jesus. We've looked at Jesus as a priest. We've looked at Jesus as a king. Today, we're going to look at Jesus as a prophet. And uh, I'm going to throw you a little bit for a loop today. Normally, uh, we would have a text that we would camp out in and we would exposit a text. Uh, I'm going to throw a lot of texts at you today. And my goal in doing that is to paint a picture for you uh, about the prophetic nature of Jesus Christ. And so um, if you don't, don't feel bad, if you can't keep up with, with turning from you know, one page to the next, because I am going to throw quite a bit at you, much more than we normally do uh, in terms of scriptures. Uh, but like I said, the goal is to paint a picture for us uh, today. And we're going to look at Jesus not only as uh, the object of prophecy, but the subject of prophecy. And I'll explain what that means as we get into it. But Jesus is the object of prophecy and the subject of prophecy. As we read this morning to start off our service, Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses was writing uh, in the Pentateuch that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And Moses is maybe a familiar name uh, to some of us. If you've been uh, around church at all, you've probably heard references to Moses. But Moses, he's kind of a big name in the Bible. He's kind of a big deal. Moses, um, you know, led the Exodus, you know, led led the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt, and God did miracles in that. And it was through Moses who God delivered the Ten Commandments. Uh, Big deal. 
in Deuteronomy 34, at the very end of, of Deuteronomy uh, 34, verses 10 and 12, it says that there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It's not said of anyone else in the Bible that the Lord knew them face to face. Deuteronomy goes on to say, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. So Moses, in a sense, stands alone among the prophets. Right? Biblical history is full of prophets, messengers of God coming uh, to deliver God's message to the people. And being a prophet uh, in the Old Testament, it, it was a rough job because people didn't listen to the prophets. Um, people despised the prophets. When you saw a prophet walking down the road towards you, your thought was, uh-oh, like, like what bomb is he going to drop on us today? They just kind of delivered you know, the, the bad news that, that people were disobedient to God. And Moses stands alone because he's recognized uh, as not only a prophet, but he's recognized as a deliverer. He's recognized as a covenant mediator. He's recognized as a priest, and he's recognized as a ruler. And so, so among the prophets, Moses kind of stands above the rest. We're told in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 22 to 26, the reason that God sent the prophets. Jeremiah says this, and Jeremiah, maybe to preface this, Jeremiah did not see a convert in his entire ministry. Jeremiah had it rough. Like we would not consider him a successful pastor today, um, you know, by standards that, that we often measure church success with. But God called Jeremiah when he was young, and God's call to Jeremiah was, I want you to go where I tell you to go, and I want you to say what I tell you to say. And you know what Jeremiah did? He, he went where God told him to go, and he said what God told him to say. And so in that sense, he was successful in that he was obedient to God, but, but, but nobody really listened, unfortunately, to what Jeremiah had to say. But Jeremiah writes this in, in chapter 7, verses 22 to 26. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt... I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward from that day to the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt. I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Are, are we feeling good about a Christmas message so far? <laughs> God's speaking through Jeremiah that his message, the, the message collectively of all of the prophets was to obey God's voice so that He will be your God and that we would be His people and walk in the way that He's commanded us, that it may be well with us. That was the collective message of the prophets. They said it in a lot of ways all throughout Old Testament history, but the collective message was obey God so that it will go well with you. And the collective response, and I think the collective response continues today, is that they did not obey, or we did not obey, we as human beings did not incline our ears. We as human beings walked in our own counsels and in the stubbornness of our evil hearts. And as such, we go backwards, not forwards. 
collectively as a society, we're not drawing nearer to God. Collectively as a society, we're, we're going backwards. We're drawing farther and farther away from God. And, and I think just a simple scan of the headlines will show us that without having to, deep, too di- uh, too, to do too deep of a dive into what's happening in the world. Collectively, we are going backwards and farther from God. And it's not going well for us. It's not going well. There are days that I wake up, and, and I'm not really a, like the sky is falling kind of a person. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic and um, you know, pretty uh, positive in my thinking for the most part. I'm, I'm not really one to just kind of sit and wallow in despair. It's just not how, how God's wired me. But there are days that I wake up and I just think, like, what's the world going to be like in, in two years, in five years, in ten years? We're on a tra- trajectory that just doesn't, like, it's not going well. Right? It's not going well for us. And the trajectory that we're on collectively as, as a society is taking us away from God. But here's what's cool about what Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah writes kind of this bad news, like God's message, the message of all the prophets has been obey God, so it'll go well from you. The response of the people has been stubbornness and stiff necks and, and not inclining our ear towards God and that we're going backwards and that's bad news. But I don't know if you caught this part in here where God says that He has persistently sent his prophets day after day god persistently sends his prophets and thank god that he does if it were me and if it were you there probably would come a point where i would just throw my hands up in the air and say you know what they're not listening why bother why keep trying like we've probably all done that as parents right with our kids at some point or another they don't even listen to me why do i why do i try and we we just give up sometimes on circumstances God persistently sends His servants, the prophets, to them or to us day by day in the hope that we will be obedient to Him so that it will go well with us. And when I say that, that God has a hope for that, I don't mean, like, how do you and I hope? Like, sometimes our hope is not much more than wishful thinking, right? Even in some of our heavy circumstances that we shared about today, we all have hope in how those circumstances will turn out but we probably have little control over any of it, right? And so sometimes our hope is just more that you're just wishful thinking that I hope this turns out good, but we, we can do little about it. But when I say that, that it's God's hope that we would obey Him, God, God's hope is not wishful thinking. God, God has set aside a people for Himself, the Bible tells us. We're told that Jesus is not going to lose any that the Father has given to him. And so even in his persistence in the message to obey so it will go well, and in our persistence of being stubborn and stiff-necked, Jesus is not going to lose any of all that the Father has given to him. Even though generation after generation after generation, as Jeremiah points out, we, we do worse than the generation before. Romans chapter 1, there's a point where Paul says, or Romans chapter 2, says that we're inventors of evil. Like he lists all of these evil things, and it's a long list. And then the kind of like, if that's not bad enough that we engage in all this evil activity, says that we invent all kinds of evil. That's a scathing indictment of humanity, that, that like there's no end to the evil that we can invent, right? But God persistently sends His messengers Isaiah chapter 11, we're told, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, faithfulness the belt of his loins. So here's where we, see, where we see Jesus becoming the subject of prophecy. Jeremiah tells us that God has persistently sent messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger. And we know some of those names. Isaiah is one of those names. Moses is one of those names. Jeremiah is one of those names. Jonah is one of those names. Obadiah, right? The major prophets, the minor prophets that God has persistently sent. But Isaiah gives us this prophecy that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And this is a reference to Jesus coming from the line of David. So Jesus being the subject of prophecy, the one whom all of the prophets point towards is Jesus Christ. We, we could spend a couple of days going through all of the Bible prophecies about Jesus. And we're not going to do that today because time doesn't permit, but hopefully you'll, you'll get the idea here just a little bit that we look at. Isaiah prophesies that, that one will come the Messiah, whose delight will be the fear of the Lord, upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, one who doesn't judge by what he sees or by what he hears, but by what is righteous, what is true, what is holy. And he'll do so with perfect equity. Then we're told that he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. That's not good. Right, that, that's not good news. But we're told that he's righteous. As a matter of fact, righteousness, Isaiah says, shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. And so whatever, whatever Jesus does when that time comes, whatever judgment he brings, it will be equitable, it will be righteous, it will be faithful, and it will be done with the fear of the Lord. Amen. Micah, another prophet, uh, whose name we probably know, Micah chapter 5, verses 4 to 5 says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So we have kind of some bad news that Isaiah gives us that, that Jesus is going to come and there's going to be a judgment that comes with that, and, and it's not going to go well for some. Micah gives us some good news that, that, that he tells us Jesus is a shepherd. He'll shepherd his flock and he'll do so in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And that they or we shall dwell secure because Jesus is great to the ends of the earth. In other words, he, he's bigger than the earth. We're, we're told as a matter of fact that, that Jesus, Jesus created the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things that were created were created through Him. So He's great to the ends of the earth. And that, 
my friends, is, is enough for me to have peace and enough for you to have peace. He shall be our peace. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is pointing us forward to the moment when Jesus on the cross, takes on the punishment of iniquity that was ours and not his. You're seeing how Jesus is, is the subject of prophecy. He's the one to whom the prophets point. And there will come a day where he will take on the iniquity of the world, the sins of the world, the unrighteousness of all of humanity. Isaiah, again, in chapter 7, verse 14, tells us that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Like, how do we know who this person is? Well, the Lord will give you a sign, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's all well and good that that we would hear in 2 Samuel that one day that someone's going to come and take on the iniquity of all of mankind, but how do we know who and when and where? And Like, give me the details. And Isaiah says, here's, here's the sign. Here's how you're going to know. The virgin will give birth. And the son to whom she gives birth, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. In John chapter 1, when he talks about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, it's the same idea as in the Old Testament when they had the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was, was the portable temple, right? When they, was, they would travel from place to place and, and they would set up the tabernacle when they would land in a place and stay there for some time. And it was just understood that that's the place where God dwells is in the tabernacle, right? And so they would worship God in the tabernacle because... For that time in history, that was the dwelling place of God. But John, the Apostle John, tells us that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's the same word. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So now, God hangs out, not in a tent, not in a a portable structure, not even in a permanent structure, but the dwelling place of God is now within mankind, you and me. God with us, Emmanuel. The Word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. Does that not boggle your mind that God would do that? So He's the subject of prophecy, but at the same time, He's also the object of prophecy. Back to the Apostle John. John's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 22 to 27, says this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? This is referring to John the Baptist. Who are you? He confessed 
And he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? There's a title here when he says, are you the prophet of whom Moses spoke? And he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them and he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So John the Baptist, he's doing his thing. He gets some attention. People are paying attention. John's drawing some crowds. And so the religious leaders of the day, they're kind of in a frenzy about this John guy out in the wilderness. John, John was kind of weird. He, he was an eccentric fellow, we might say. And so they went to investigate and they asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? And he says, no, I'm not any of those things. And so they ask, well, why are you doing what you're doing? What do you have to say for yourself? He says, I'm not, I'm not the prophet, but, but I am pointing the way to the prophet. I'm the one crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. And he says of Jesus, the one who's been the subject of prophecy throughout Old Testament history, and now with the virgin birth, is, is now the object of prophecy. The subject has become the object. And he says, that guy, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And we see this kind of remarkable humility in John because, again, he was drawing a crowd. People were paying attention to him. He, he was a noteworthy person this moment in history. John is famous for saying, I must decrease he must increase. In other words, less of me, more of him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes before me, or who comes after me, ranks before me because... He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here we see another reference back to Moses. And even, even in the Pharisees asking, John, are you the prophet? That's who they're asking about, the one of whom Moses spoke. That's exactly who they're asking about. And John reminds us that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Again, the subject of prophecy has now become the object of prophecy. You can imagine as, as, as an Israelite, their hope was that one day the Messiah would come. Israel was an oppressed people. And if you read your, your Bible history, you know that, that they were always under somebody's thumb. That they weren't a great nation in terms of size or power or strength or wealth, anything like that. They were always under somebody's thumb. And their hope was that one day the Messiah would come and set them free from their oppressors. 
And so prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet would come and say, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's going to be here, just wait for it. You can imagine maybe getting tired of hearing that message. Maybe losing hope, thinking, you know, is this just folklore? Is this a fairy tale? Is it ever going to come true? And one day, the virgin conceives. And the virgin gives birth. And word spreads that the Messiah is here. And we've talked about this before. But how is it that the Messiah showed up on scene? Not on a horse. Not with a sword. Not with a shield. Not ready to take names. But he showed up as a baby. The object of prophecy is a baby who needs to be fed and needs to be clothed and and born in a barn. (laughs) Humble circumstances. This is the hope of Israel? (laughs) What? This is a crazy story. We would not write this story because it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. It's kind of ridiculous, except that it's not, right? Coming back to Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses was kind of the first big prophet and they didn't listen to him. And we know, according to Jeremiah, they didn't listen to the prophets after Moses. And so Moses, he keyed in on something. He knew something that a little bit about maybe how history was going to go. And Moses tells us one day there's going to come a prophet like me. And the likeness to Moses is that that God is going to step into human flesh. That's the likeness. Another human prophet, except this human prophet isn't like he's fully God and he's fully man. And he's going to come and he's going to tabernacle and dwell among you, Emmanuel. And Moses Way back at the beginning of the Bible says, when that, when that day comes, when that prophet comes, you better listen to him. You don't listen to me very well. Listen to him. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 26. This is Peter speaking. It says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus, the object of prophecy. His message is still the same message that was the message of all of the prophets before him. Obey so that it will go well with you. Listen to me so that it will go well with you. Jesus' message throughout the gospel accounts can be kind of boiled down to repent and believe. Turn from your sin, turn from your unrighteousness, turn from your wickedness and believe in the one whom Moses said would eventually come. The one who all of the prophets between Moses and Jesus said would eventually come is here. And so Peter, his message is the same thing. 
Listen to him and whatever he tells you. If you don't listen, you'll be destroyed from the people. In other words, listen and it will go well. Don't listen and it won't go well. That's been the message from way back. And it's still the message today. John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that that He is the way and He is the truth and He is the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus isn't saying that He's a way. He's not even saying He's the best way. He's not saying that He's your truth or my truth. He's saying that He's the truth. He's saying that He's not one way to have a life, but He's the life. The way, the truth, the life. Exclusive. Truth and life can only be found in one way, and that's through listening to the prophet, the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ. And to kind of put a punctuation mark on this, Luke in his gospel, Luke chapter 9 records for us an event that we call the transfiguration. Now about eight days after these, sayings took, after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as these men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it good that we are here? Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So kind of this cool moment where Jesus is on the mountain and this kind of supernatural thing happens. He becomes radiant and and somehow, somehow they, they knew that Moses and Elijah were with him. I can't explain how this happened, but somehow they just knew like they, they didn't have pictures back then, right? They couldn't pull up on their smartphone and say, oh, who is, oh, oh that's Elijah. I don't know how they knew. Somehow they, they knew that it was Moses and Elijah appearing in glory with Jesus. And of course, Peter, being who he is, says, hey, we need to build the tent so these guys can hang around for a while. And of course, Peter's missing the point because not far from now, Jesus would ascend into heaven and take his rightful place but to punctuate Jesus as the object of prophecy, this voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is him. This is my son, my chosen one. And in my version, chosen one is capitalized. Like it's, he's the chosen one. The prophet of whom Moses spoke that would eventually come. And the father says, listen to him. Moses told us a long time ago, listen to him. Peter tells us, listen to him. God the Father tells us, this is the one, listen to him. And so as we consider Jesus as prophet today, that, that's the message, is listen to him. Listen to him, obey and it will go well. Don't obey and it won't go well. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses says, Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is what we've covered today. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, in other words, the chosen one, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so again, the writer of Hebrews telling us he's come. God has spoken to us many ways and through many voices over a long period of time. But today, in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, the ultimate, the one whom all of the prophets pointed to, the one of whom all of the prophets prophesied about. This is the one through whom God has spoken to us. And if that's not enough, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that it's Jesus who's been appointed the heir of all things. Everything belongs to Him. He owns everything, He controls everything, He knows everything, He sees everything, He hears everything, everywhere, always. And because that's true about Him, He also created the world. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. How is it that God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1? He looked into the nothingness and said, let there be, and there was. You and I don't have that power. We can't look at nothing and say, like, something happened. But Jesus looked into the nothingness and said, let there be, and there was. And if that's not enough, He's the radiance of the glory of God. You remember when Moses went up the mountain to meet with God? I don't know if you remember this. There was a moment Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, and he had to wear a veil because he couldn't physically handle the radiance of the glory of God. He couldn't handle it. And when he came down from the mountain, he was radiant. The people noticed, like, what's up with Moses? He's been with God because he's just got this radiance about him. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is God, the writer of Hebrews is telling us. And he upholds the universe simply by the word of His power. The same word that looked into the nothingness and said, let there be, is the same word that has power to uphold the entirety of the universe. We should listen to Him. If this is true, and I'm not questioning if it's true, I'm just saying logically, if, if all of these things are true, if, if the journey that we've taken kind of through some Old Testament history here has gotten us to the point of this is, Jesus is the one who Moses spoke about. Jesus is the one of whom all of the prophets pointed us to. Jesus is the one to fulfill the prophecies because He is the ultimate prophet. If that's true, ought we not listen to Him? Ought we not obey Him? Absolutely. And probably preaching to the choir a little bit here in asking those questions. The writer of Hebrews reminds us too that that prophet 
The one who upholds the universe with the power of his word is also the one that made purification for our sins. He's the one whom we offend with our sin, right? He's the one who ultimately we sin against. He's the one who we wrong long before we wrong anybody on this earth. And at the same time, he's the one that makes purification for how we've wronged him. That, we wouldn't write that story either. That's a ludicrous story, but it's, it's what God has done for us. He made purification for our sins. And then, after he did that, what did he do? He, he didn't stay on earth and say, you owe me, I own you now. That's what I would do. Jesus didn't do that. He went and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us that He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. We screwed this whole thing up. He fixed it. And then He continues to intercede for us. Again, a story that we wouldn't write because it's so crazy. And then we're, we're told by the writer of Hebrews that His name is more excellent than all of the angels. Right? There, there are some encounters in the Bible where we see you know, angels visit people. And people always get freaked out by the angels. Right? They've got to bow. Right? There's just something about the angels that like, they're pretty cool. But as cool as they are, Jesus' name is more excellent than theirs. He's, he's better than they are. He's better than the angels. And we're not going through Hebrews today, but if we were to keep going, the writer of Hebrews would tell us all the ways that Jesus is better than the angels. The writer of Hebrews would tell us how he's the ultimate priest and he's the ultimate king. And hopefully today we've seen that he's the ultimate prophet. The subject who all the prophets talked about, the object of all of prophecy, the word has become flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And so now what? If that's true, then what? We're getting ready to celebrate a holiday that, that brings all of this into view. And not, not even everything we've talked about today, but the things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks brings all of this into view and it's punctuated on Christmas Day. Side note, that, that's why we're not canceling church on Christmas Day because this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And so my encouragement to us is that as we gather with family and as we do the things that we do and engage in our traditions, and traditions are great, but as we engage in those things, don't let any of this be lost on us. You know, I I hate the, the corny saying, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, but he is the reason for the season. If all of this is true, then Christmas has a meaning that, that we can't even fathom fully. We can't fully wrap our minds around these truths if all of this is true. Even though I'm saying if all of this is true, this is all true. This is all true. We don't question the truth of any of this. And so be encouraged with this message. I've said over the years that the, the, the good news isn't that good if the bad news isn't that bad. And we've had a little bit of a dose of some bad news today, right? We've heard that, that if we don't obey, it's not going to go well. But the good news is that, that if we repent, if we turn from our disobedience and turn to obedience in Christ, we're told that it will go well. And we can spend a lot of time talking about what that doesn't mean. We don't subscribe to a prosperity theology that says if you turn and obey God that you know, all your wildest dreams are going to come true. That's, that's not what, what it's saying. Right? This is talking about eternally. 
right? When we repent and we turn and obey Christ, it's going to go well for us in eternity. If we don't turn, we don't repent, and we don't obey the prophet of whom Moses spoke about, it's going to go bad eternally, right? The stakes are high on this one. And again, I may be preaching somewhat to the choir here, but be encouraged as you gather with family, you do your things this week and this season, that, that there's, there's a message to be delivered here about what Christmas is about or about whom Christmas is about. And maybe you'll have some opportunity with your family, with your friends as you gather uh, to unpack what Christmas really is. Father, we're thankful today. Um, thankful that Jesus is both the subject and the object of prophecy. Thankful that we have a Bible that paints this picture for us, that tells us who Christ is and what Christ has done and shows us how much you love us through who he is and what he has done. And so I would pray for us today uh, as the holiday approaches that it would be about more than just exchanging gifts, that it would be more uh, about more than just sharing meals, that it would be about more than simply gathering with family, that as we do those things, uh, that we would remember uh, the good gift uh, that you've given us in Jesus Christ the good gift that you have given us in uh, the ability um, to repent and to obey and to follow you. We're thankful for that, God. And so please help us as we gather this holiday season for these things not to be lost on us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.